Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pods Sleep Stories. My name is Chris, and tonight I will be your guide as we dive into a retelling of a work of literary genius, Alexandre Dumas, the Count of Monte Cristo. We will follow the tale of Edmund Dantes as he escapes from prison after being wrongly imprisoned in the cold fortress of Chateau d'If, off the coast of Marseille. We will join him as he spends grim days in the large fortress and initiates his escape, an escape forged on hope and patience. Before we begin, however, let us take a moment to unwind and find peace and comfort in the place that we are in, here and now. Close your eyes and allow your body to sink into the surface beneath you. Try and help your body and mind understand that at this moment there are no obligations, there are no responsibilities. By simply listening to the sound of my voice and joining me on this literary journey, you are already providing yourself with rest. Your body is being nourished and rejuvenated with every passing second. And in time, anything further that you are seeking will come. For now, let us help our bodies relax a bit more with your eyes closed. I'd like you to try and picture the room around you. Trace the outline of your furniture with your mind's eye. Slowly work your way around the shape of any dresser, nightstand, or coffee table that is near you. Can you picture the objects on any surface in the room that you are in now? Try to imagine the texture of these objects. Are they smooth or rough? Are they cool and metallic to the touch? Or are they soft and warm? With the room around you visualized and growing more comfortable, I'd like you to turn your attention to the space above you keeping your eyes gently closed. Imagine the texture of the roof, the color of it in what little light is shining in the darkness. But as you picture the roof, slowly a light begins to glow across it. It's like a mist, a gossamer, shrouding the ceiling above you, and it is a soft, light, silvery moonlight. Slowly, the silver mist gathers together from the corners of the room, taking shape just above you, 
into what looks like a brilliant, tiny silver cloud. It floats effortlessly above you for quite some time, as if it, too, is finding comfort in the space around you. Then, slowly, the glowing cloud light makes its way down towards you. As it does, you feel warmth radiating from it growing closer to your body and bringing a peaceful sense of relaxation over you. The glowing cloud hovers just above your head. You can see the pretty plumes of mist swirling around beneath its surface. Pretty plumes that bring with them an aura of wonder and beauty. But Most of all, you can feel that warmth. The cloud gently taps against your forehead. And as it does, that wave of warmth washes over your head and shoulders, tiny muscles around your mouth and your tongue relax. Your teeth unclench allowing your jaw to relax in a natural position. Your eyes do not clench shut with any pressure, but instead soften, remaining closed without adding any tension. Inside your head, any pressure, negativity, or racing thoughts that you may have been having melt away disappearing into the air around you. Imagine any heaviness or negativity swirling around in your head, and then actually picture it, leaving your body, blowing away from you with the steady breaths you were letting out. Your shoulders fall away from your ears, giving your neck proper room and easing any tension you've had there. With your head and shoulders relaxed, the cloud lifts slightly, just enough to continue moving down your body. It descends once more, this time softly touching your torso. As it touches your torso, the wave of warmth embraces you, radiating through your chest, your stomach, and across your arms, all the way down, 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 to your hands and wrists. In the center of your chest, feel the cloud most at work. Any pressure or weight you felt on your lungs lifts, leaving you with more space for deep, nourishing breaths. You can breathe deeply and freely now, without anything holding you back. Those deep, wonderful breaths allow your heart to beat at a normal, healthy rate. Any thudding caused by worries 
or anxiety or discomfort quiets more and more as your heart and lungs find themselves at peace from the warm light of this cloud. For a moment, turn your attention to your stomach and how it feels. If there's any discomfort there, any pressure, any tightening, imagine it as a hard ball. Slowly picture that hard ball of discomfort, softening slowly, squishing down like a stress ball. Watch as the hard ball of discomfort turns into something malleable, something that is not permanent and is gradually becoming less and less noticeable. Feel as that silver light radiates down your arms and into your fingers, relieving any aching or stiffness in your wrists, your joints, your elbows, even your fingers. Slowly, the light makes its way down to your legs. Imagine the warm cloud passing down your legs now, soothing any restlessness you may be feeling, and reminding you that here, in your comfortable spot for sleep, is where you belong. The light lifts off of you up into the top of the room, and as it does, you are left feeling more safe and at home. Now that we have taken the time to relax and find peace and comfort in the place we are in now, let us begin our story. The port of Marseille was alive with the eagerness of a happy crowd. Palm trees swayed in the light breeze, and the turquoise blue waters of the Mediterranean seemed to sparkle even brighter than they usually did. On the horizon, a ship was gradually making its way into port. A ship that the people were awaiting with bright smiles on their faces and excitement in their hearts. The Feroan, a ship that had been gone to sea for quite some time, was arriving, and the owner, Monsieur Morel, was thrilled to see his ship return to port. As the ship docked, Morel admired the beauty of it. The sleek wood edges, the strong and powerful mast that glowed against the bright blue sky, the noises the boat made against the soft, rolling waves. But Morel was not prepared for the news that awaited him. The journey of the Pharaoh had not been as bright and cheery and positive as this beautiful Mediterranean day was, Edmund Dantes was the first to step off the ship. 
he removed his hat from his head and informed Morel that something tragic had happened on their journey. The original captain fell ill and passed away, leaving young Dantes in charge. Morel was greatly impressed with Dantes' performance as a temporary captain, as well as his eloquence and kindness in telling Morel the news. At only 19 years old, Dantes was already a better leader than scores of men that Morel had encountered. Danglas, the ship's supercargo in charge of all financial matters, was enveloped in jealousy at the sight of Dantes getting such praise. He told Morel that Dantes forced the ship to stop on the Isle of Elba, which cost them much time in their journey. Morel was surprised to hear this and confronted Dantes with the accusation, only for Dantes to calmly tell Morel the truth. Dantes stopped the ship in Elba to appease the captain's dying request. He deeply desired to deliver a package to General Bertrand, the exiled Grand Marshal who worked for Napoleon Bonaparte. Morel was impressed with Dantes's handling of the situation, and as such, he awarded Dantes with the honor of being the permanent captain of the ship. Dantes was ecstatic, thrilled to be given such an honor at such a young age. Meanwhile, Danglas stood at the edge of the ship, overcome with jealousy and anger. After being gone for so long, Dantes traveled back to his childhood home to tell his father the good news. There, he was surprised to see his father looking worse for wear. Though, Dantes left his father with some money. A tailor named Caderousse demanded that he pay a debt which Dantes owed, leaving him with little money to survive on. Not yet, one to be filled with rage. Dantes handed to his father gold from his promotion and told him that he could buy whatever he needed. Caderousse visited the house only moments later, and Dantes politely welcomed him in. Caderousse congratulated Dantes on his promotion that warned him that his luck may change. The woman that Dantes loved dearly, Mercedes, had been seen in the company of another man. Wounded by the possible betrayal, Dantes and Caderousse traveled to Mercedes to see if he had truly been jilted. Instead, Dantes was love-struck at the sight of the beautiful and graceful Mercedes. Mercedes greeted him with a bright smile and threw her arms around him, 
embracing him fully and deeply. Her cousin, Fernand Mondego, stalked off at the sight of them in such a passionate embrace. For years, he had been trying to woo Mercedes, but he was truly no match for a man like Dante's, and Mercedes's love for Dante's was unmatched. Later, the group decided to drink together. While Caderousse and Danglars tried to stoke Fernand's anger, Dantes and Mercedes sat at the other end of the table, blissfully unaware. They could not keep their eyes off of each other, and with each stolen glance between them, they found themselves falling more madly in love. By the end of the dinner, the two had an exciting announcement. They were to be wed the next day. Nantes was due to travel to Paris to deliver something as part of the late captain's last wishes. Nantes chose not to go into detail about what he was delivering. But he didn't have to. Filled with rage and jealousy, Danglas began to weave a story in his mind. He suspected that Dantes was delivering a letter given to him on the Isle of Elba by those who were loyal to Napoleon, people who were trying to assist him in a plot to overthrow the French government. Hatred is an ugly thing, and it adds fuel to a fire. The idea of a letter brought a plot to Danglars' mind, a plot that would change the course of Dantes's life forever. As Dantes and Mercedes slipped off for the night, eager to catch up and exchange affections in the dim candlelight of a French night, the three men sat around the table, letting their frustration grow and grow. After much deliberation, Danglars drafted a letter to the public prosecutor, telling him that Dantes was due to deliver a letter for Bonapartists in Paris from Napoleon himself. Caderousse stood up from the table upset with this plan. He did not want to defame Dantes's character, though, as soon as he left the inn, Fernand gathered the letter and mailed it, sending it off to the public prosecutor. The next day was meant to be a day of love, of passion, of union. Dantes and Mercedes sat at a banquet table, overflowing with lush, luxurious food for their betrothal feast. Glowing in the candlelight, the two could not take their eyes off of each other. Their love had no bounds, and they were delighted to be united for the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, 
their romantic evening took a rather dramatic twist. As the two were toasting to one another, gazing at each other with passion and love sparkling in their eyes, the doors flung open. The royal guard burst into the room, demanding Nantes' immediate arrest. All of the guests looked at one another in utter confusion. Nantes himself was confused, but not yet alarmed. He knew he was an honest man who had done nothing wrong. So, kindly, he agreed to go with the royal guard without a fight. He kissed his beloved bride goodbye as he was whisked away, leaving her with tears of confusion in her eyes. In the wake of the mayhem, Danglars offered to take over the Theroen as captain until Dantes was released. He was pleased with himself and very very pleased that his plan was working as he had hoped. Dantes' betrothal feast was not the only one taking part on the grim, drizzly summer afternoon. Across town, two aristocrats were celebrating in a much more luxurious fashion. Gerard de Villefort, chief deputy prosecutor, was celebrating his union with the daughter of Marquis de Saint-Moran. Villefort was a man with a family engulfed in drama. His father was a well-known Bonapartist. In order to keep his power as Napoleon lost his, Villefort publicly aligned himself with the royalists. He renounced his father with passion, severing his relationship with him forever. In order to gain the trust of the royalists and people of France, Villefort swore to the guests gathered at the betrothal feast that he would punish any Bonapartists with the utmost brutality and would ensure they were locked away for life. Just as he made the announcement, he was swept away to deal with a Bonapartist plot. A plot that Dantes was said to be involved in. When Villefort confronted Dantes with the accusation, Dantes answered honestly. The letter he had was indeed from Napoleon but he had no political involvement in the matter. He was merely carrying out the dying wish of a captain he greatly admired. Dantes had no ties to anything, no allegiance except to the love of his father, of Mercedes, and his strong respect for Monsieur Morel. Villefort found himself in admiration of Dantes's honesty and strong character. He thought, for a moment, decided that he was going to let Dantes go. Until Dantes uttered the name of the intended letter recipient.
Monsieur Nautier, Villefort's father. Villefort wanted to fall to his knees with grief, with the sheer anxiety and worry pounding through his body. He could not, under any circumstances, allow his father's treason to be known by anyone. He felt he had no choice. He had to destroy the letter and send Dantes away for the rest of his life. Dantes was shocked when Villefort sent him away, and not just anywhere. Dantes found himself at the Chateau d'If, a prison situated on an island off the coast of Marseille. It was a cruel prison, a damp prison, a prison reserved for only the most dangerous political prisoners in France. Shocked by what has become of him, with no fair trial, Dantes yelled at the guards, demanding to speak to the governor, to anyone. But Dantes was denied, and his outburst landed him in the dungeon. On the way down, the guard told Dantes of perhaps the most insane man in the prison, a man who repeatedly promised the guards millions of francs in exchange for his freedom. Back on the mainland, Villefort found himself engulfed by regret. Mercedes came to him, desperate to find out what had become of her love. And at the heart of everything, Villefort knew Dantes was not guilty. Yet, he had his own life to save, his own country to save. He told the king of Napoleon's plot, but it was days too late. Napoleon had already landed on the shores of France. In spite of being late, the king was pleased with Villefort and admired his loyalty greatly. However, it didn't take long for Napoleon to reclaim France as his own. Morel, who was desperate for the return of Dantes, approached Villefort with desperation, urging him to release Dantes. Bonapartism was no longer a crime, so he believed that Dantes should be set free. However, Villefort could not allow Dantes to be released, for he feared Dantes telling the public the truth, and feared Dantes's revenge. He was not the only one, however. Danglars moved to Madrid, fearing Dantes would return and seek revenge on him for his hand in the plot to have him imprisoned. Meanwhile, Mercedes, devastated by the loss of her beloved, was comforted by Fernand, who was able to win her gratitude and hand by helping her through her grief 
grief she had no idea he was behind. Though Napoleon only reigned as the ruler of France for 100 days before he was once more overthrown, Dantes remained imprisoned for the first dreary six years of his imprisonment. Dantes spent long hours speaking with God. His prayers provided him with some light in the darkness of his total isolation and loneliness. With his desire to set out on the sea once more, his desire to be with his love. But soon, the prayer wasn't enough. Dantes couldn't bring himself to eat. He was so sick with hopelessness and despair. Just as the despair took over his body, he awakened to the sound of light scratching on the wall of his cell. Confused, he began to dig toward the noise. For hours, he matched the scraping on the other side, and then light bled through the wall. The hole crumbled into existence there. His neighbor, Abbe Faria, also known as the Mad Priest, emerged. He was jailed for his political beliefs, and for many years he has been trapped here unfairly. Dantes was thrilled to have a companion after so many years alone. But Faria was less pleased. He had thought for several weeks he was digging a tunnel to freedom. Though the guard told Dantes Faria was insane, Dantes quickly came to see that Faria was anything but. His cell was lined with pen, ink, paper, lamps, and other home goods that he had managed to fashion out of random items in the cell. The two swapped their life stories in the light of a flickering candle. And as soon as Dantes told Faria of his woes, Faria was able to put the puzzle together. He told Dantes he was surely framed by Danglars and Fernand, and even more shockingly, told Dantes that Nautier was Villefort's father. The plot against him became clear. Dantes found himself no longer sick with grief, but emboldened by a deep, deep desire for revenge. For several years, Dantes and Faria worked together. Faria taught Dantes everything he knew about the world, educating him in several languages, in mathematics, and even in philosophy. When they weren't speaking of education, they were planning how to escape. Just as they were set to put the plan for escape into motion, however. Faria found himself paralyzed, making him unable to escape. 
Dantes swore to stay by his side for as long as Faria lived. As it became clear to both of them that Faria's end was approaching, he told Dantes about hidden treasure on the island of Monte Cristo. Long ago, it was hidden by the Spada family, a family Faria worked for. All the Spada's belongings were left to Faria, and now he was leaving them to Dantes, who had become his son after their years imprisoned together. Faria handed Dantes a slip of paper detailing the treasure's location on the island. Soon after, Faria peacefully passed away, devastated by the loss, but still desperate to escape. Dantes hid himself in the bag that was meant for Faria's body. Later that night, Dantes was cast into the sea in the bag, Using a knife he concealed on his person, he was able to escape the bag. He swam to freedom on a nearby island, one that he remembered was uninhabited during his sailing days. As he grew closer and closer to the island, his heart raced more and more. He was exhausted having not moved this much in years. And, as he lay on the sand of the nearby island, he felt a wave of relief wash over him. He stared at the night sky overhead, feeling as though he was taking his first breath in nearly ten years. The feeling of the water on his legs the breeze brushing over him, the beauty of the stars overhead. It was all blissfully overwhelming. Dantes had to get off the island, and he was in luck. A nearby ship picked him up, and he told them that he was the lone survivor of a ship crash days earlier. He worked in the crew of smugglers for quite some time, and the men grew to love him dearly as a hard worker and as a friend. Soon, the ship settled on the island of Monte Cristo for a night. When they did, Dantes saw his opportunity. He told the men he had an injury and could not be moved urging them to return for him in a week. With the crew gone, Dantes searched the island for the treasure of the Spada family. He dug at the spot that the map indicated, and in it, he uncovered a treasure greater than he could have possibly imagined. The diamonds and gold sparkled in the sunlight. More beautiful than anything he had ever seen before. Moved, Dantes fell to his knees, thanking God for the journey he had sent him on. When the crew returned, 
he boarded the ship, carrying a few carefully hidden diamonds with him. In port, Dantes sold some of the diamonds in order to purchase a yacht and sailed back to Monte Cristo for the rest of the treasure. He awarded Jacopo, one of the smugglers who was kind to him, with his own crew and ship. Fueled even more in his quest for revenge, Dantes disguised himself as an Italian priest and traveled to the home of Cadarus. He and his ill wife were poverty-stricken, and Dantes was disturbed to see it. Pretending to be the executor of Dantes's will, Dantes told Cadarus that he came into a fortune while imprisoned and wanted the money split between his father, Cadarus, Danglars, Fernand, and Mercedes. Hungry for money and wanting it all to himself, Cadarus told Dantes of the truth behind the plot against him. Though Dantes already knew this from Faria's deduction, moved to tears, Cadarus told Dantes that he has been tormented by guilt since Dantes was imprisoned. He wanted his former friend to be released, but there was nothing he could do. Dantes found himself moved by the display. Truly, Cadrus had been devastated, and so he gave Cadrus a diamond to keep for himself, declaring Cadrus was the only true friend of Dantes. Dantes learned of the fate of everyone else. Danglars became one of the wealthiest men in Paris, and Fernand too became incredibly wealthy. He and Mercedes lived together in Paris. Morel was at the edge of financial ruin, having given Dantes's father much money and having had many of his ships sunk or lost at sea. Dantes was displeased to hear all this news, but he knew what he must do. He worked in the shadows to return the purse to Morel, although this time it was filled with notes of all of Morel's debts, debts that he had paid in full. He also enclosed a diamond to be used as a dowry so that Morel's daughter could marry the man she was madly in love with. From outside, Dantes watched the celebration between the family members. He was pleased with himself, pleased to reward a man who had been so kind to him. For the next ten years, Dantes enjoyed his wealth and planned his revenge. Having bought the island of Monte Cristo and the title of Count, he referred to himself as the Count of Monte Cristo. And now was the time to set his plan into motion. 
he set out to meet Albert, the son of Fernand and Mercedes. Upon meeting him, he discovered that Albert was engaged to Danglars' wealthy daughter, although the engagement seemed quite unhappy. Dantes bought himself a house outside of Paris, wanting to be closer to the affairs of those who wronged him and their children. He brought a Greek slave named Heidi and set her free, believing she shouldn't be kept imprisoned. Gradually, the two became more and more connected, and Dantes found himself falling in love with her, something he didn't think possible. Dantes worked hard to ensure Danglars lost his fortune for betraying him. And, in the midst of all the drama amongst the families, was able to work so that long-kept secrets were revealed. Secrets that ended with both Villefort and Fernand dead from their own guilt and grief and Danglars held hostage until he repented. Pleased that his revenge was complete, Dantes was finally able to enjoy the life he had made for himself. Heidi declared her love for him, and he helped arrange the union between Monsieur Morel's son and Villefort's daughter, who were madly in love. Though his quest was long and filled with dangers, Dantes did two things that allowed him to succeed. He hoped, and he was patient. I hope you have enjoyed this sleep story, and it has brought you a night of peaceful, relaxing sleep. Please, join me again tomorrow night for another sleep story. Until then, Sweet dreams.